Good morning. How's everybody doing today? You having a good weekend? Good. Let's keep it running. Welcome to Portico Church, Arlington. My name's Jason. It's my privilege to be with you this morning, just as Pastor Reeve said, to open up the Word of God with you. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 2, all of it. Um, we handed out these scripture journals all week, or the last few weeks. So if you don't have one, we have some in the back. Um, our hospitality team will get one to you. So you don't even have to open your Bibles. You've got your scripture journal. We'll be in Ruth 2 today. Um, how many teachers do we have here actually teach? A lot. Wow, now I feel bad about my horrible grammar. Um, well, the reason I say that is because I'm, I read this text today, or this week. It instantly made me think of one of my teachers. His name was Mountain Mike. He was my sixth grade teacher. This is in a different world, okay, many years ago. And he, he would teach us earth sciences and social studies, and, but he just knew the earth. He would take, we actually went to a camp with him. And one of the things that he taught me, uh, which I to this day remember, and it reminded me when I read this text, was that little baby chicks, right, little soft fuzzballs in the farmyard, um, they don't, they're very small, they don't have a big brain, but when a hawk, (laughs) you ever seen what a hawk does to a barnyard? It's like a crime scene. But listen to how, (laughs) listen to, Sorry. I'm going to start over. Let me sit down. These little, these little yellow chicks. When a hawk flies over, because hawks have rounded wings. One of the reasons they have rounded wings is so they can soar without flapping. They can stay on station a long time waiting, right? They can soar. When they see a hawk shadow float over them, boom, they scatter. Right back to mom. Right back to mom hen. Right? If it's a crow or a non-raptor bird that has pointed wings, they don't even notice it. Listen to Sorry. I'm going to start over. Let me sit down. These little, these little yellow chicks. When a hawk flies over, because hawks have rounded wings. One of the reasons they have rounded wings is so they can soar without flapping. They can stay on station a long time waiting, right? They can soar. When they see a hawk shadow float over them, boom, they scatter. Right back to mom, right back to mom hen, right? If it's a crow or a non-raptor bird that has pointed wings, they don't even notice it. I'm like, Mountain Mike, how does that work? He's like, I don't know. But it does. Just just the shadow of a rounded wing bird, they go right back to mother hen. This language of taking refuge under God's wings is going to be used today in our text. In fact, Jesus used it, right? When he's coming into Jerusalem for Passover, in Luke 13, he says, Hey, how often, how often would I have gathered your children together, Israel, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. The idea is this. When you abide in God's love, when you actually are convinced and have the security that you know that you are loved, that you are protected, that God is working for you, he's working through you, if you understand that and you believe that, it absolutely changes how you live. It changes how you engage the opportunities in front of you. It changes what you are not afraid of and what you are afraid of. It just changes how you live. If you believe that you're in the barnyard on your own, that it's up to you, to protect yourself and to find meaning, you're going to live in fear. 
Now, in Ruth today, we see the unseen presence of God because if you notice in Ruth, there's no, God's not doing anything. He doesn't show up. He doesn't speak to anybody. He's not blatantly visible in the text. But you're going to see the unseen presence of God today, and he's the one that moves. Right? He, he's the one who's turning famine into faithfulness. He's the one that's taking these situations that are hopeless and bringing hope for his people. So here's what I want you to ask yourself before we jump in. How would your life look differently if you were absolutely convinced that God was working for you? Not just to protect you, not just nearby, but the relationship that you have with the living God was such that you were convinced that God is working for you. Would that change your life? Are you living like that now? Because it changes our life in some very simple ways. Now, the text we're going to read today, and I'm going to read it all up front. It's a lot of text. Before we get there, I want you to watch for a few things. A, watch for the hand of God. Watch how he is actually in the circumstances. There's been several prayers in Ruth, and you're going to see these prayers being answered today through some people. So watch for that. Um, Just watch for the hand of God of God at work. And we're going to see three movements here. The first is going to be really focused on Ruth, and she's going to take initiative in a situation that doesn't make sense for her. Then we're going to see Boaz show up on the scene. That's the second movement. And Boaz is going to take responsibility for something that he didn't cause in a good way. And then Naomi, she's going to start to thaw. The one who renamed herself Mara, or bitterness. And she sees God's hand at work she's going to start to thaw. So watch for that. Now, just quick review. If you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the book of Ruth. Um, essentially, it's sent during the time of the judges in Israel. It's not a good time. A lot of violence in that season. People had forgotten God. Uh, it, the most dangerous situation was if, if you were a woman or a child or even a sojourner, a foreigner, you were at risk set during this time, and what we've seen so far is that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, took his family out of Israel, away from God's presence and provision, away from his people, into Moab, away from the house of bread, into a foreign land to escape famine and not trust God. Naomi loses her husband. She loses her sons. And then she, with Ruth, decide to risk everything on God's goodness and come back into Bethlehem. Because God has made it known that he's providing. So today, we will see what it looks like for them to rest in that God, into God's love. Almost like the song we just talked about, abiding in God's love or staying in God's love. What does it look like for them to do that? All right, so we're going to go here. Ruth 2, verses 1 through 23. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. Watch how God moves. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to his reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless 
you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves of the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you have left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Our ask is that you would weave your story into our lives. The simpleness of this text brings something profound, God, that you have for us today. Would you, would you please, Lord, in your mercy, open our eyes that we just may behold the beauty 
of what you're doing here, God. Would you, would you bless us, open this word, help it to read us, and may we receive it in the name of Christ. Amen. Okay, so there's a lot here. We're going to walk through these three movements. But did you see the hand of God at work? Do you see what it took for Ruth to actively rest in God's love? Do you see that? She had to expect that God would act on her behalf. Did you see what Boaz had to do as he engaged the opportunity that was before him? As he took responsibility for the opportunity that was before him? He had to expect that God was not just working for him, but through him. And also Naomi, she had to expect that God was working redemption in her life. That her story was not actually over. God was pulling her into his story in very specific ways. So as we're walking through this text, just understand this. When we're resting in God's love, it requires something of you. It's not just being static. It's not just saying, yes, I believe. Actually, it's very active. When you're resting or abiding in God's love, um, you must expect God to be working. You must expect him to be working for you or you're never going to initiate. You need to expect him to be working through you actively in such a way that you actually become the wings of God, if you will, based on this text. And he'll show up in your wife and in life and work through you. You have to expect that or you're never going to take responsibility the way that God is calling us to. And in the midst of disaster, or even in good times, you have got to understand and expect that God is working redemption. He's working a bigger story. There's more to what's going on than what you're experiencing in your circumstances. All these things we must understand and actually do if we're going to rest in God's love. So let's just look at this text. It's so good. So the first movement is Ruth takes the initiative. Um, before we even jump in that, because this text uses this word covenant love or hesed. That's the original word, hesed. Uh, man, you can write that down because it's all over Ruth. And we've talked about God's covenant love before or hesed. I just want to explain it very, very specifically. Um, one person calls it loyal love. I think that's good. It's God's loyal love for his people. But it really doesn't pick up on what that actually means. Yes, he genuinely and intimately and immutably, and he just genuinely loves his people. Um, I think maybe one word that I like to describe God's covenant love or his faithfulness or his hesed for his people is loving kindness. But it really doesn't give us a good idea of what it actually means. Think of this. It's like a collective noun. Think of it as a, a word that's a bucket, and we can just pour some meaning into it. Here's some things that God's has said or covenant love will contain. First of all, obviously love. God loves you, right? He puts you first. Mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, goodness, and also this loyalty. He does not bow out. He does not get tired of you. He does not respond to you based on your faithfulness, but he responds to you based on his faithfulness. This is what we see happening both in the life of Ruth Naomi's warming up to it, but also in, through the life of Boaz. So um, what does it feel like? Well, here's what covenant love or chesed feels like. It feels like you absolutely know that you are the prize. God delights in you. He loves you. He wants you. And that's never going to change. And you're convinced of that. It feels really like the love of a parent. 
as imperfect as parents are, this is why kids cling to their parents. When a kid's afraid or in a circumstance that they don't understand, especially if they're little, they will run and they will cling. They will hold fast. That's covenant language. They will run underneath, if you will, the wings of a parent. This is what covenant love feels like. This is how it works. So in that idea, what's going on here? You have two widows in need. Naomi and Ruth are back in Bethlehem. People know they're back, not so sure why she brought Ruth with her. And understand this, a widow has no options in ancient Israel. There is no support structure outside of your own family. So there's, there's no way for them to actually support themselves. So they're in great need, and they really have no family left. There's no male family member that would take them in. And so in verse 2, Ruth takes initiative. She says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I shall have favor. Now, the narrator of Ruth is omniscient. He's telling you the story. He tells you in the beginning um, that Boaz is on the scene, right? How does he say it? Now, Naomi had a relative of, of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. Ruth doesn't know this as she's going out. The way that the English text is written, it kind of sounds like she's looking for Boaz, but she's not. She's basically saying, hey, let me go out and glean. I'm going to go find a field. It's during harvest. Maybe I can find somebody that will let me glean behind the reapers. I'm going to go out and give it a shot. I'm going to try to find somebody that will let me do that. So she takes initiative to go find food because she's committed to Naomi. She's committed to God as well. She takes initiative to go out. Here's what's going on in Israel. Remember, this is the first harvest after a famine. Have you, is there any farmers in here? I think I saw one. All right. You know what I'm talking about. Harvest is fun. If you've ever been on a farm or in a field during harvest, it's like you've waited all year for this. So there's just a, there's, it's a season of joy. People want to be there. It's busy. Um, it's an exciting time. This was also a covenant blessing. There had not been a harvest in Israel for a long time. So there's hope, there's excitement, you see God's blessing. Um, this would be a little bit like, I don't know, if, if the Nationals actually made it into the postseason. You would feel, you would just like, I know it's not going to happen, but there's some, some bizarre hope that I'm going to hold on to. It kind of lifts the spirits. This is happening during harvest time. This is dangerous for Ruth. You've got to realize that she does not belong in Israel. I don't care how happy people are that harvest is happening, that God's blessing is coming to their people. She is not a participant in the nation of Israel. The last thing that you would ever expect to find out in a field in Israel, in Bethlehem, the first time God shows up in a while, is a young Moabite woman who's coming up to you and saying, hey, can I, can I pick up stuff? Can I glean here? Who are you? No, you can't. In fact, if we remember the story, Moab withheld goods from Israel. Moab tried to curse Israel. So you don't want somebody that's tried to curse you in your field when you're trying to walk in God's blessing. So this is a dangerous time for her. She's a young woman. She's under threat, especially during this season. And Naomi didn't even go out with her. I don't know why. The text doesn't say, but was she embarrassed of her? I don't know. She didn't even take her out. Um, she has virtually no chance of success. You've got to see this. She has like a one in 500 chance of even being noticed. And honestly, it's better if she's not noticed. So she is risking, but watch 
what happens. Verse 3. So she set out, and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So there's rhetorical force here. The author wants you to see the hand of God at work. It's, kind of, it's ridiculous. It's, it's as if it just so happens that the field in Bethlehem that she starts reaping in happens to be the field of the relative of Naomi. Just so happens. God is working, right? She expects She expects God to be at work, and he is. He's working for his people. So Boaz sees her. You're going to notice her. She's on her own. Probably dresses a little different, maybe. And it's inconceivable. There's a Moabite widow that's young walking around in your field. He says, who is she? And his, his reaper, like the guy who's running his crew, says, hey, she came up, and she asked if we can glean among the reapers. How much, where is she getting her courage? You could say, well, she's just bold. No, no this, this, this is dangerous. She expects God to work. She's willing to rest in God's love in such a way that she will take initiative and expect God to work for her. Remember, last week, she risked everything with Naomi on God's goodness. And now she displays the courage of one who is greatly loved. You've got to see this. Greatly loved. So much so that she's going to walk into a field where she does not belong and nobody wants her, and she's going to ask, hey, can I glean here? You just, you don't even want to watch it. You're like, oh, this is not going to go well. They're going to run her out of here so quick. And then she receives God's blessing. Check this out. Um, What is gleaning? Do you guys know what gleaning is? Have you ever heard of that? Well, God wrote it into his law for his people that when you do harvest, you don't harvest the whole field. Leviticus teaches Israel that when you do harvest, you don't do the corners. You cut the corners and leave it there. Um, If some falls on the ground, you don't go back to get it. You leave it for the poor. You leave it for the widows. You leave it for the resident aliens that are there. Leviticus says that when you reap the harvest of the land, you should not reap your field right up to its edge. This is Leviticus 23, 22, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Deuteronomy 24 even goes on further and says, hey, when you're putting the sheaves together, the big bundles of wheat and tying them off so they can dry up a little bit, and then you take them to the threshing floor. Hey, if you forget one of them, don't go back and get it. That belongs to me. You're going to save that for, who does he say? The sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. I am the Lord your God, that I might bless the work of your hands. Subtext, you shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. One of the reasons God has them do this is so it keeps them humble. It reminds them, I am your provider. I pulled you out of the house of bondage. I'm your redeemer. If you're experiencing hesed, if you're experiencing my covenant love, it's going to flow out of you. It's going to change how you deal with the most economically vulnerable in your midst. And if you don't love them, like I'm calling you to do, then I'm going to wonder if you know me. So this is what she's doing. She's betting on this. See, God expects righteousness from his people. Do you feel that? 
he expects if you're going to be in covenant with him, if you're going to trust him, right, if you're going to walk in faith, he expects compassion and provision from you to those that are poor, to those that are resident aliens, right, sojourners in your land, to widows. James picks up on this as well. James 127, what is pure and undefiled religion before God the Father? That you meet the orphan and the widow in their time of need. Um, God is working for her. She is a poor Moabite woman alien. She, because of that, she cannot count on the locals. But God is working for her. Do you see that? Um, side note. When it comes to resident aliens in our country, this is a hugely political thing. As a Christian, I want to give you some guidance on that. Regardless of what side of the politics you fall on or how nuanced you get with it, do not be more concerned about being right than being righteous before God. His law does not change. How you engage those in your community that are in need and vulnerable does not change based on your politics. God expects you to meet need. He does. He expects you to take the opportunities that you have in your circles and to be compassionate. He does. He expects it of us. Right? That He expects righteousness from us. Um, so God is working for her. What is the outcome? She takes initiative. God is working for her. What keeps you from taking initiative wherever God has placed you? Probably one of two things. Fear. Fear will paralyze you. You'll, you'll be saying things like this. Hey, but what if it doesn't work out? We don't get to see what was going through Ruth's head. And Naomi certainly didn't warn her. What if this doesn't work out? What if they chase me out? What if they kill me? What if I get assaulted? These are all reasonable things that could have happened. She could expect these things because of where she was. And cynicism, right? It's just not worth the effort. What's the point? Because God never shows up. So the call here is to take the initiative because you are absolutely convinced that God is working for you. I may not get what I want. You probably won't. But what you want is to get what God is working in you. He's working a story that's bigger than us. Surrender the op outcome to God, you need to take that first step. And did you notice she's actually engaging the means of grace? She's actually taking advantage of what God had given Israel, gleaning. She's actually going out there and getting it. Um, many times, we will not even take the first step with what God has given us. We might be suffering from frustration or fear. Um, we, won't, we won't engage the friend who's calling us out. We won't, we won't even go to the community group when we know it would be helpful because we haven't seen God show up there, right? So I'm not even going to engage that. So you have got to initiate understanding that God is working for you. Take the first step. We want God to heal us like that, but we will not take the first step. So God is calling us to initiate. Ruth does that well. So in movement two, we see Boaz takes responsibility for the situation. So Ruth initiates. She initiates on God's goodness and on the fact that God loves her and is going to provide and then what is, so what is Boaz's game? First of all, his name means, and he's called by Ruth or by Naomi, a worthy man. 
That basically means that name has been used of God in different places in Scripture. It basically means a mighty man, somebody that's, that wins. He's victorious. When he puts his hand to something, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get done. So you, you have this idea that he's a good, he's just a good dude. And we also see that he's, he's family. He belongs to the line of Elimelech, so he is related to Naomi. So you start to see hope here. Again, this is the first harvest in how long? Imagine from Boaz's perspective. He's a landowner. He's got a crew out there working the harvest. How excited are you to start giving it up to other people? Especially people that you don't know, especially people that aren't from Israel. In fact, when we suffer famine, what do we normally do? We hoard but you don't see that. And Ruth, again, she's an intruder. It would have been very normal for him to not even talk to her, just like get her out of the field, rebuke her, and move on. What does he do? He takes responsibility. He fully invests himself in the outcome of what's going on with Ruth and Naomi. Fully. He doesn't just say, oh yeah, give her some stuff, send her on. In fact, he doesn't even tell anybody to talk to her. He says, who is she? Oh, that's Ruth, the Moabite. You know, he just, they just label it. She's the Moabite. They came back from Naomi. So he goes over and he talks to her face to face. Verse 8. Now listen, my daughter. Do not go glean in another field. Stick with my people. Right? Hold close to them. He's taking responsibility for her. This is what happens when you've experienced God's covenant love, when you know you have security in him through faith. It overflows out of your life. He doesn't give instructions. He actually talks to her, and he calls her daughter. Now, imagine everybody else calls her the Moabite. Naomi addresses her as a daughter, sometimes as a daughter-in-law, but she's being greeted with a term of endearment by Boaz. Hey, stay in my fields. This is a safe place for you. I've instructed my men not to touch you because we know that's what was going on during the time of the judges. Hey, side note, and everybody's in a position of leadership in some way. Watch Boaz closely because what you tolerate in life is many times more instructive than what you teach in life. So it's not just enough that Boaz says, oh yeah, we should help her out. He's like, hey, don't touch her. Don't game on her. Don't rebuke her. Set her up for a win. So when it, taking responsibility is not just about helping out, he's invested in the outcome of Ruth and of Naomi, and he's personally invested. So he becomes a blessing. He teaches his workers. Imagine what they're learning from him. I mean, they actually greet him. And they're different class structures. And he brings her to the table. This is huge in Israel. This is huge in the ancient Near East. He puts Ruth, a Moabite, at the table with his workers. And they eat together. This is, he's pulling her in as family right off the bat. And he won't even let her eat dry bread. Like, dip your bread in our wine. It's probably some kind of a vinegary thing just to keep the bread from being too dry. So what is the outcome of this? He sets her up for success. I want you to listen to what he says to her in verse 12. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What he witnessed in her action, and he were giving her life over, 
to Naomi, walking away from everything that she knew to take, to take responsibility for Naomi. He saw the work of God in her life. He recognized that she's placing herself under the wings of God. He saw her actually living out hesed or covenant love. Many times when you're wondering how God's going to work in your life and through your life, you're looking for something miraculous. You're looking for something that is very obvious and clear. Do you know that your kindness, you showing up, you initiating, you taking responsibility for the people God has put in your life is how God works? Do you know that? This is primarily how God works works. This is primarily how God answers prayer. He works it through his faithful. Um, even in your profession, that's holy ground. We've learned not to find value in our job, but do you know that God can work through you in profound ways? Let me read a little quote um, from C.H. Spurgeon, old Baptist preacher from the 1800s. He said, Christians ought to be comforters, With kind words on their lips and sympathy in their hearts, they should carry sunshine wherever they go and diffuse happiness around them. Is that happening? Sometimes kindness is the the most important weapon that you have. And it flows out of a life that is known by God. Now, moving at three, it's very short, but Naomi decides God is working. So what happens? Ruth comes home. She's got like 30 pounds of grain. So imagine you send her out. Hey, I'm going to go glean. Yeah, yeah, good luck. She walks back in that night. Somewhere around 30 pounds of barley that she beat out. This is like if your kid goes out with a lemonade stand and you give them some lemonade and they walk back like 30 grand. You're like, hey, I'm doing that tomorrow. You can stay inside. Naomi is absolutely overwhelmed by what has happened. Have you, have you ever seen God work and it was very clear what he was doing and then you're shocked that God answered prayer? Am I the only one? You're just shocked. You're like, can you believe it? Can you, can you believe God answered that prayer? She's overwhelmed by it. And then Ruth drops this bomb. Oh, yeah, his name's Boaz. And Naomi responds with, hey, this man belongs to our clan. He's a redeemer. She begins to see the hand of God at work to take an awful situation and bring something good out of it. God is working redemption. She starts to thaw. Um, And you will see this as the narrative goes on. She starts to trust God in new ways and embrace what God is doing. Um, It's just beautiful. It's like, I remember being in Seattle once where the sun doesn't come out often. And I was down by Pike's Place. Um, If you've ever been down there, it's very beautiful. It's a marketplace. Um, It was like the first day of sun in 20 days. It was about 11 o'clock in the morning. And there maybe a thousand people showed up. I remember asking somebody, what, what, where did they come from? Is there a festival? They're like, oh, no, they just came from the office buildings. Like, they just leave when the sun comes out? Like, how long have you been in Seattle? The sun never comes out. Like, when the sun comes out, we're going to stop whatever we're doing. 
and we're going to move on it. You kind of start to see Naomi begin to thaw, and she understands that there's a redeemer. And what is a redeemer? It's just a relative that's going to make things right. Somebody that's going to take responsibility, and we'll see this. We'll see this develop as time goes on. Um, My wife came home one day after reading Ruth. And let me just tell you, it's very dangerous when your spouse reads the Bible and decides to do it. She came home one day after reading Ruth and said, hey, God's really laid something on my heart. I just want to give you an op, like how this could work out. I said, you know what? Um, we need to bring your mom out so that she can live with us. I'm like, baby, you know, that was the Old Testament. And <laughs> I don't know. Does it apply today? It's a very different culture. <laughs> I think I said a lot of other things, too. But she was like, no, no, L- look what Ruth did. Just face value. Hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to go with you. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. She's like, I know what God wants me to do. So we bought a house that had a mother-in-law suite, and it was really hard. Like, circumstantially speaking, was not a good call. We moved my mom out from California, and she stayed with us for a few years. Um, she took initiative. She took the responsibility and she believed God would work through it. He really did. Like, in some amazing ways. My kids got a grandma in the hardest time, like middle school through high school. That's when kids need a grandma. Like, king-size Snickers, the whole thing. <laughs> I know your dad doesn't understand you. Like, that was wonderful. My mom got baptized. She had come to faith, and she, she actually got baptized. In the, like, God worked. God worked. Um, Man, I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now. God has put things in your life where you need to take initiative now on it. You need to take your eyes off yourself and wring your hands over your circumstances. 